You're listening to the Plane Talking UK podcast, the UK-based podcast written by a passenger for anyone. And here is your host, it's Mr. Carl Stebbings. Well, welcome then to episode number 66 of the Plane Talking UK podcast. I'm Carl Stebbings and joining me in my kitchen studio this week is Matt Smith. Morning. Hello, Matt. Are you well? Uh, yes, I am. Yes, good, I'm good, good, good. Yes. Matt's been telling me all about his uh, wonderful trip to London. Yeah, no, and, very good, um, very successful, all good, all good. And flying yeah. along in his coach and yes, uh, driving yeah. and everything. Yeah. Uh, flying at a steady altitude of about <laughs> 10 inches. 10 inches off like. the ground, yeah, 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 exactly. I actually so. did that at the start of the, the thing. The, I, I got a, a colleague with me who was route learning yesterday, and he looked at me like I lost the plot when I picked the microphone up and did it. It was, uh, good morning, ladies and gentlemen, uh, this is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got a, f- f- a flight flying at an altitude of ten inches, one hundred and twenty-five miles, uh, <laughs> just with a flight time of around three and a half hours. Yes, for the, <laughs> for, for the listeners who are wondering what, what we're talking about, those yeah. of you who are seasoned listeners to the show will know that Matt is a is a coach driver. But don't hold that against me, please. But, yeah, don't yeah. hold that against me. No, but he is, is a coach driver, and, and a, very good, a, perfect, a very good one, a perfect build for it as well. Mm. <laughs> Honestly, well insulated. That's how I you're half it. the man. And you used to be. <laughs> that's, that's neither here or there. So we've had a, a very interesting week in aviation news. Mm. And we've got uh, quite a few well, a few stories to get through. Yeah, I've uh, been out of the loop a bit, a bit this week, so I'm looking forward to catching up, actually. Yes, yes. Yeah. And um, no, we've got a bit of air show news. We've got a bit of React news for the air Ooh. show news. We've also got a segment from Pilot Pip good, good, as well. Good, The legend that is. He is, yeah. He sent us a, he's funny, he sent me a sent the segment in this week to us. So I sent it in yesterday. Ooh. And with the sort of tagline at the end of his email saying, "Oh, I'm, I think it was I'm just off to, off to Cyprus or somewhere." Or, oh, I saw on the, I saw on his uh, Facebook thing where he, he reckoned it was the best view he'd ever had from his. From yeah, his hotel room. Uh, wow. yeah, he'd yeah, he posted a view of his um, yeah. from his room yeah. uh, where he was staying. Uh, did did young Mister Pip a, a lot better than Nine Elms Coach Park, which is where <laughs> I was yesterday, which is basically a concrete pad. But anyway, yeah, twenty pounds for no facilities oh, whatsoever. Oh. Anyway, no, sorry, sorry, sorry. There we go. Aviation, aviation, aviation sorry, yeah, yeah. Quiet. Talk about uh, <laughs> yes. airport car parks. And yes, stuff. that's it. Yeah. Yes, yes, very similar. Yes. And we've had a few little bits and pieces of feedback from various listeners, which is quite good from uh, Facebook. Forward. And that's so. Uh, yes, we've got uh, quite a lot to talk about. Mm, we better get on there. We yes, get so cracking. we're going to start the show then, as we do each week, with our rundown of the weekly news from around the world and the UK. So, if you're ready, Matt, always, let's go. <laughs> So kicking off this week's news then on the Mail Online website, and this one is regarding United Airlines. Uh, this is an American carrier, isn't it? It is, yeah. oh yes, very much so. This is one of Rob Mark's favourite airlines oh, over at the Airplane Geeks. Yeah, uh, he loves United does, Airlines. Does he, well, let's see how he feels after this story. This <laughs> they always talk about them in such good, they? good, yeah. Um, so, probably I'm never, I'm never sure whether you're being so <laughs> or otherwise. I think I think they kind they they uh, put them in the same um, bracket as Ryanair. Oh, that, that, that you good, do. yeah. Excellent. So the <laughs> the story, the headline, then uh, United Airline passengers stranded at Belfast Airport for twenty one oh, hours and forced to choke on their tea <laughs> and sleep on the floor after wow. a plane was diverted due to an unruly traveller. So uh, the. Triple Seven was carrying 269 passengers from Rome to Chicago, and uh, the story goes that uh, the uh, passenger 
was uh, being rather unruly on the flight, so the flight had to divert and, uh, well, land at Belfast, mm. which which upset quite a lot of the passengers. Yeah, um, It was a frustrating ordeal for the exhausted passengers who were stranded for nearly 24 hours after the flight from Rome to Chicago made the unscheduled stop and was unable to leave the airport in Northern Ireland's capital. Oh, I'm being stopping off there. It's quite mm. nice there. I think you might be a bit disappointed if you've just come from either Chicago or Rome. No, I suppose. <laughs> Given the delay caused by the disruptive, disruptive man, the plane's crew was forced uh, to make a mandatory rest period because of their maximum duty time would have expired by the time they landed in Chicago. Flight UA971 was carrying 269 passengers when it aboard its 10-hour journey to land at Belfast at 7pm uh, Well, this week, mm-hmm. night this week. Passenger Rick Slitter from San Diego said crew and air marshals were concerned about a man's unusual behaviour on board the plane. He told Mail Online Travel, from what I heard, the guy was being really a nut job, okay. cursing people out and staring at people and changing his shirt four or five times in the bathroom. Hmm. Wow. Fellow passenger Mike Rafferty added, apparently a man was acting strange, belligerent and enraged in the boarding area and at least one United boarding agent warned him if he continued acting that way he would not be allowed to board. Then apparently during the flight he berated the woman next to him and other passengers became alarmed by him or by this and other strangeness. After the meal he got up and bust his uh, bust his own tray. I think that point at that point the pilot uh, and some male passengers talked to the guy and I don't know what was said but he pretended or did sleep until we landed at Belfast. It took a while to land because we had to dump a lot of fuel over the ocean and we landed five uh, oh, six, five or six police officers came on and peacefully escorted the guy off. The 42-year-old man was arrested for endangering the safety of a plane and is scheduled to appear in court um, later on this week. That's Friday this week. Mm. Belfast International Airport at, uh, Constabulary said the man with dual Italian and American nationality is also set to be charged with disruptive behaviour on board an aircraft and common assault. Mr. Slitter, who was travelling with his two sons, aged 8 and 10, and his 70-year-old mother, said the plane refuelled and was preparing for takeoff when the flight was suddenly cancelled. Just as we were taxiing to the runway, the captain indicated that he had missed the window by a minute or two because of the time that it would be in the air and violate the standards, he said. Uh, so the plane was uh, forced to obviously abort the flight due to, because obviously we have time, mm. they have time yeah. hours, as yeah, yeah, you as, do as, as, as a coach driver. Um, so after sitting on the plane until midnight, passengers were herded inside the terminal building where they were forced to sleep on cold, hard floors uh, because there were not enough hotel rooms available. And um, he, re- he had the chap here estimated he had about 90 minutes of sleep, which is not bad on a, on a cold yeah, floor, I suppose. Going, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, one of the cafes at the uh, airport stayed open till late for the stranded passengers who were given £15 or Ooh. $23 food vouchers which were later increased to £45, or $70, per person. Mr Slitter said the airport staff did everything they could to assist the passengers while they were stuck at the airport for 21 hours, including handing out blankets and bottled water. But he was disappointed by what he claimed was a lack of communication on the part of United Airlines, once passengers were inside the terminal. A United Airlines spokesman told the Mail Online that United Flight 971 from Rome to Chicago divided 
diverted, oh, blimey, <laughs> to uh, Belfast because of a disruptive passenger. Law enforcement met the aircraft, the passenger was removed, and the crew had reached their maximum duty time, due, uh, which led to the cancellation of the flight. See, now, if it were me, I would have made sure that all these people had somewhere to stay. I mean, honestly, I, I, well, there's no, not no, hotels no, enough in Ireland? Well, yeah, exactly. As I say, even if it involves you know hiring a coach and all that kind of thing, and then this guy that has caused all this trouble, I would be having him in court, and I would be suing the living daylights out of oh, him yeah. for all the money that United Airlines have then shelled out to ensure that the rest of their mm. passengers aren't absolutely ruined, frankly. I mean, it's... Uh, well, it's just an hour. I, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm surprised, to be honest, given the way that some people are with alcohol, that they actually allow you to drink before you get on a plane. Uh, if things don't settle down yeah. soon, I could easily see people being breathalyzed before they get on the plane. Yeah. Because it's not fair on me as a passenger who just wants to go home. I mean, you, or... could, you could have gate agents at the gate who mm. check your ticket before you board yeah. and just randomly breath-testing people. Yeah, or, you know, or breath-test people that look like they might have mm. had a skinful or might be acting up or, or, or whatever. But, I mean, I, I guess it's you know very overstretched security staff already who mm. already have far too much to do with, without the resources. I'm, I'm, to, I think I'm lucky. I've never, I've never been on a flight with a, with a, with a disruptive passenger No, well, like, it, it is a very rare thing, but, isn't um, it? But, I mean... I'm I'm surprised if he only missed his window by a couple of minutes mm. that there isn't um, I mean, there there is in my case for example if it looks like I'm going to go over by ten or fifteen minutes uh, the, the 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 end of the thing is the the overall safety of the passengers mm. and when you when you're about to run out of time uh, the what they what they say is obviously you've got to get those passengers to a place of safety before you mm. bring your vehicle to a stop. If you're only ten minutes away from where they were going to get off anyway, the logical step there would be the most the, the most obvious safe place for them to be is where they started essentially. Mm. So so that's exactly what you would do. But if I mean if he's saying that it only got you know they'd miss their window by one or two minutes. Are they really going to be that strict? I think the rules are quite strict when it comes to this. Yeah. Well, they are with tacos. Mm, yeah. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I'm just sort of, you know, within a sort of between two. There, there must be a. There must be a. a you Perhaps know, that's something we could ask Pip. That is. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Or yeah, uh, Captain to, Jeff yeah. over at uh, the Airline Pilot Guy podcast. Mm. Perhaps he could. How strict are the uh, time rules for I'd, pilots? I'd love to. I'd love to talk to him about it. Obviously, because mm. I, I mean, I'm governed by very strict driving rules and regulations. It'd be, it, from my point of view great to hear yeah. the other side and sort of try and well, compare so, notes, I suppose. If you're a pilot and you're listening yes, to the show, absolutely. Pip, Captain Jeff, and yeah, any, any other else? pilots yeah, yeah. you're listening to the show. Matt would love to talk to you Matt, about hours. Matt would like to hear yeah, about yeah, yeah. exactly what the time yeah. constraints are for yeah, being yeah. a pilot. Brace yourself, I have lots of questions. Oh, he, does. Oh, he definitely does, yeah. Yes. So next story. Yeah, next story. Uh, it's my favourite airline. Uh, we mentioned them a moment ago. It is... Uh, oh, apologies, the... by the way, for oh. the noise in the background. Oh, yes. That is the washing machine. Right. Very sorry. <laughs> it's all right. Good news is there's only about 15 minutes of the cycle left. So it's... <laughs> Brace yourselves, everyone. It's in spin cycle. Uh, the mirror.co.uk and the headline on this particular page, Ryanair plane unfair as charity lotto winner 
must pick one million pound prize from 125 envelopes. Oh, I love this story. What? Ryanair Charity Scratch Cards offer a one million pound prize, and I've bought some when I've been on the flight. Really? Yeah, one because I'm a muppet, and it was you know. Well, they mentioned the word children's charity, and then I get all a bit you know feel like mm. I must do something. But anyway, uh, uh, must correctly pick the envelope that their prize is in. Uh, Airline Ryanair has been accused of not being up to scratch, but this time it's not over extra charges. It's for raking in a fortune from passengers with a charity scratch card that offers a top prize of €1 million. Critics claim customers have as much chance of getting uh, free onboard bubbly as they do of scooping the £713,000 jackpot. They estimate the firm makes more than £12 million a year from the two Euro fly-to-win cards that offer just one jackpot a year. No one has ever won it, and even and <laughs> even monthly prizes of a car and cash could not dent the estimated takings. The firm said that it had given well over €1 million... Euro, really? Given well over €1 million Euros from the card sale to charity. So hang on, they make £12 million from the scratch cards... And they've only given one million euros to charity. Yeah, that's what it says. Well, Blimey. consider this the very last time that I buy your crappy scratch cards then, Ryan. <laughs> eh? That's absolutely outrageous. If those figures are correct, that's absolutely outrageous. I'm sorry, because they're sold to you as raising money for... You know, mm. they, they don't actually indicate that they're making a profit on that. So that's absolutely outrageous. But anyway, by the uh, Ryanair Don't Care campaign website set... What the hell? Uh, sorry, so washing machine oh, is finished. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just like, I thought we were about to blow up then yeah, for yeah. a minute. Anyway, but the Ryanair Don't Care campaign website said, we believe a high percentage of profit is kept by Ryanair. To win the prize, the big prize, you have to scratch a yes on one of the cards and then enter a drawer online. If, you're, if you are the lucky passenger uh, a, a year to be picked, it's not over. At an event, you have to pick up one of 125 envelopes, only one of which holds the jackpot check. So, really? So you've gone through all that. You've won, you, 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 you think you've then won this 1 million euros, and then you've got a 1 in 125 chance, or a 1 in 124 chance of winning the big prize. Um, the rest contain £10,000. Ryanair don't care, claims Ryanair sells around about 15 scratch cards per flight. At 1,600 flights a day, that would add up to an estimated £12.5 million. The site wants an investigation. Ryanair says that our scratch cards continue to generate very significant funds for charity. Yeah, but nowhere near as much as what it generates for them. <laughs> over the past six Please. years, they've donated well over a million to charity. Yes, and mm. taken twelve and a half million pounds for themselves. And mm. they have already admitted that they haven't given the one million euros to the person that entered the competition. <laughs> so, food for thought, there, please, people. Please, if you yeah. fly Ryanair yeah, with these for scratch goodness cards, sake, do not buy these stupid <laughs> scratch cards. I used to, and I certainly won't be doing it again. Thanks for giving me that story, Carlos. I'm going to write something now. That's fine. <laughs> oh, well, moving, I'm, I'm, moving I'm, swiftly I'm not on. I'm talking to you anymore. That's it. I'm going to write grump now. Oh, no. <laughs> this story will cheer I've you up. I've got an elastic band now. I'm going to ping, ping. it at you. <laughs> Don't you hit the pop filter. So next story, the Scotsman Uh-oh. on Sunday site, this one. And Jet 2, oh, look at this from the last story before. Look, Jet 2, an alcohol ban threat after rising incidents. Ah. 
So uh, an airline has called for curbs on alcohol sales to airports and threatened to mm. ban booze from more flights after suffering a 20% increase in disruptive passengers this year. Wow. The warning from Jet2, which flies 44 routes from Glasgow and Edinburgh, coincided with the start of the school, uh, school summer holidays in parts of Scotland yesterday. What, is it the children that are hideously drunk then? <laughs> <laughs> I think the parents, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Managing Director Phil Ward set up, uh, said up to eight incidents a day had been reported to him over the past three months, up by one-fifth on a year ago. They included drunk, rowdy, aggressive passengers and racial insults. <laughs> Mr Ward said the airline might ban alcohol on more flights in a bid to combat the scourge. He also urged restrictions on drink sales in terminals after finding passengers turning up for early morning flights already drunk. Yeah. He said, we are refusing passengers from travelling every day and the number of people banned from our flights has reached double figures since February. Oh dear. Mm -hmm. We would welcome a higher police presence and tighter licensing laws at airports. Andrew Tosh, 34 from Dundee, was jailed for nine months last week after admitting sexual assault and threatening an abusive behaviour <laughs> on a Thomas Cook Glasgow to Turkey flight last month. The latest Civil Aviation Authority figures show that the number of disruptive passengers has nearly tripled in three years, from 39 in 2011 to 114 last year. A spokesman said it's a specific criminal offence to be drunk on board an aircraft and also ref uh, to refuse to comply with instructions from the captain. We support UK Airlines' efforts to deal with disruptive passengers to ensure the safety of all those on board and welcome criminal prosecutions where appropriate wow mm. not good yeah I'm, i mean well, we, all, we all like a little beer before we fly i i, I must confess wine. even if i've got a very early flight uh, I, I have to confess that i have been known whilst at weatherspoons having my breakfast i have often had it with uh, an orange you know I, i've quite often had haven't had an orange juice with a cider chaser next to it yeah, yeah. <laughs> even at six o'clock in the morning i have to confess and yet i would never i mean you know me well enough to know i would never do that under normal circumstances i don't know what it is about <laughs> going on holiday that makes you think right holiday starts here you're escaping the uk <laughs> well there is that yeah no it is it's it is becoming um, mm. quite serious this this particular thing people you know yeah. we're hearing instances about this all the time jet two obviously picking up on it more than uh, most but um yeah no it's mm. i mean people have to remember that the effects of alcohol when you're at 35, 37,000 feet are different to what they are when you're um, in your well, in your front room. I mean, even if you look at it, uh, you've got to you've got to know what effect alcohol that you drink has on you as a person. Mm. So, if you know that it tends to make you a bit aggressive and a bit violent, and you're about to get on a plane, surely common sense would prevail that perhaps so that I don't put myself in a position where I'm not allowed to travel on this holiday that I've been saving for all year um, you know surely common friends prevail that you wouldn't actually consume enough alcohol to, to generate that effect I mean mm. I'm quite lucky I go one of two ways when I'm drunk sleep or happy I, no, no I either cry lots or, or, or love everyone absolutely everyone so I, I'm quite lucky but you know I have those two but I mean I've got friends where if they have quite a bit to drink 
um, that they're all right up to say say four or five pump pints, and then literally mm. something happens to them. That would be um, that would be a happy flight, wouldn't it? What's that? A flight consisting of just you as a passenger, just yes. lots of yous, just lots, lots of, of mats, uh, all yes, some lots, crying, lots some of <laughs> some some not leaving anyone alone, oh. you know, cuddling the cr- you know cuddling oh. the crew as they bring the drinks down. He says, "I love you." Yeah. <laughs> cool, blimey. Yes, love airways. Yeah, love. Okay, careful. That's that's a whole different. Uh, okay, that's far too early for that kind of thing. Anyway, on on to the next story, which is, and uh, it would appear that I'm sponsored by either Ryanair or. <laughs> EasyJet this week. But anyway, uh, yeah. slightly uh, better news, I suppose, for Ryanair on this occasion. This is TravelMall.com uh, and the headline, Ryanair confirms as confirmed as world's largest international airline. Delta is the world's largest airline in terms of passenger numbers, but Ryanair carries more passengers on international routes than any other. Latest data released at the IATA uh, revealed that Ryanair carried 86.3 million international passengers last year, making it the world's largest international airline, well ahead of EasyJet in second place with 56.3 million. British Airways lagged well behind in fifth place with only 35.3 million passengers after Lufthansa with 48.2 and Emirates with 47.2 million passengers. Delta Airlines carried out more than 129 million passengers on domestic and international routes, making it by far the largest airline overall. In terms of international and domestic departures carried, Ryanair was the sixth largest in the world and EasyJet the eighth biggest. Aside from Lufthansa, they are the only two non-US or Chinese airlines to feature in this top 10. I'm surprised you didn't put this as the last story, Carlos, if I'm honest. Um, yes, yeah, so the top 10 reads basically is this in at number 10, Air China with 54,577 passengers. In at number 9, it's a Lufthansa with 59,850. EasyJet at number 8 with 62,309. At number 7 is China Eastern, Eastern Airways uh, with 66,174. Ryanair in at number 6, as we said, with 86,370. American Airlines, uh, I thought I would have thought American Airlines would have been higher if I'm honest but they're in at number 5 87,830 United Airlines number 4 with 90,439 at number 3 <clears throat> excuse me <coughs> yes indeed it's uh, it's a uh, Sore throat time. It's China Southern Airways with 100,683. Number two, Southwest Airlines with 129,087. And in at number one, it was Delta Airlines with 129,433 passengers. Blimey. That's a big number, isn't it? That is a huge number, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. It's, good really. to, it's nice to see Ryanair there in the top ten, though. No? Well, well, there's two, two sort of well, I, well, I suppose I well, I was going to say um, British carriers, but of course, I suppose Ryanair is is technically not that. Well, yeah, it's Southern it's, Island, it's, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know whether you class it as a, an Irish carrier or a European carrier. We'll go with European go, carrier. We'll go with yeah, European yeah, carrier. Yeah, much, yeah, much, more, uh, much more appropriate. There we go. Anyway, on to the next story then, Carl. Next story then on the Crowbra Life. Site. Do you dig these things up? <laughs> I honestly, don't know. you've got far too much time on your hands. Go and get a proper job, will you? <laughs> Blimey. <laughs> British Airways to modify 130 older planes to make them quieter. Oh, cool. Uh, British Airways have agreed to modify their older Airbus A320 planes in their fleet to reduce the noise on final approach to Gatwick. Oh, right. 
By introducing small underwing airflow deflectors um, on the underside of the wing of the aircraft, uh, a whistling sound, which can be sometimes heard, can be prevented. Uh, the whining noise on the older A320s, those of you who have the A320s flown over, you'll know the whining noise they make when they fly over, um, which is caused by the vents for the fuel tanks. Um, air flowing over them has an effect like blowing across the mouth of a bottle. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. So... Uh, British Airways have 130 older Airbus A320 planes, which uh, will start to be modified from October 2015. Mm -hmm. British Airways Head of Environment, uh, Jonathan Council, said, As part of our sustainability strategy, we are always looking uh, for new ways to reduce the impact of aircraft noise on our local communities, and we are delighted to be able to make these changes. Two operators from other countries, Lufthansa and Air France, are already underway with retrofitting their fleet. That's quite a good idea. I'm amazed, I'm amazed it's something that wasn't picked up in testing. Really. Yeah, I, that's what I was just thinking when I was reading that story. I thought, well, why didn't they do this when they designed yeah. the aircraft in the first place, to make I mean, it quieter? Well, it must have been picked up when when, when, when all the test flights were taking place, because presumably the, uh, the, the, the tank vents haven't changed location during, since its build. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed it wasn't picked up sooner. Yeah, I'm just looking at the the picture there. There's a mm. little picture of the, one of the vents there yeah. underneath the wing. Well, I can see because it's because it is it is at the, the like, yeah the, one of the lower points of mm. the wing, isn't it? Mm. So it would kind of make sense, literally, as as you as you say, it's like blowing blowing across the top of a a bottle with water in when you used to make tunes like when you were at school and that, wasn't it? You get that yeah noise, but uh, yes, well, well, it's, it's every, definitely every, something you notice though when you when you hear the Airbus when you if you hear an Airbus A three twenty an older one and yeah. then a seven three seven. 800 yeah. Ryanair Type 1 fly over. The difference in noise. Really? Yeah, the air, the Airbus does whine. It's a very sort of quite a, a high-pitched whine oh, noise. Like, yeah. Not not so I've ever heard oh, it. But, uh, what's this story for you here next? Oh, goody, it's Ryanair, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <coughs> right, this is on the Independent. This is the Irish version of the Independent, and it's in their travel... Travel, what? Travel, travel news. <laughs> travel, travel. <laughs> That's an interesting site. The travel, uh, travel well, news. It's got, it's got the Guinness logo next to it as well. So I'm wondering if perhaps the person that wrote this story had had several of those before he started. But anyway, Ryanair launches Christmas countdown. No, really, with three thousand five hundred extra flights. Uh, low ho ho fares. Oh dear. It says the independent here. Are we sure this isn't like the Daily Star or something oh. with such hideous puns? But any low ho ho fares have been announced. Summer has barely begun, but Ryanair has already launched its Christmas countdown with 3,500 additional flights. The additions will mean some 660,000 extra seats are now available to customers over the busy Christmas holiday period uh, across its European network. The 3,500 extra flights will be available for travel between December the 18th and January the 7th and are on sale as of today on its website Ryanair.com. Last Christmas, Ryanair carried over 3.5 million passengers over the festive period and we're ensuring even more customers will be flying home for Christmas on the lowest fares once more this year, said Robin Keeley, the airline head of communications. Keeley even went so far as to break 
uh, the Santa suit out for the airline from the <laughs> airline's costume cupboard. Uh, see photo above. No, I shouldn't bother to mark this particular announcement. But as uh, is its habit during the busy holiday travel periods, the airline will also raise its baggage and flight changes fees from December the 21st to January the 5th. Just, you know, so that you they can get as much money out of you or you carrying your presents to various family and friends. Both Ryanair and Air Lingus have already hiked their 15 kilogram check-in check in bag in Check it, checked bag fees from 15 euros to 25 euros per sector from June the 1st to September the 30th, amongst other increases. Ryanair has been announcing its winter and summer schedules earlier and earlier of late, providing increased visibility to both investors and passengers. It launched its winter 2015-16 schedule from Dublin last February, including plans to operate 580 weekly flights, up 5% on last year, uh, and a new route to Copenhagen. The airline is celebrating its 30th anniversary this year. Christmas already. I know. And we're barely into summer. Well, you know, there are I'm only... I'm going to plan ahead, I suppose. There are, there are only like 130-odd days, you know, until Christmas. We, we, you know, we've really got to start thinking about these things. I lo- what I love about this story... <laughs> I like how Carlos is oh, now ignoring me. <laughs> no, I'm just looking at the picture on this story. You no, know, I told site. you, don't. And the, uh, don't do no, it. <laughs> no, I'm just... The, the, the look on, on their faces, they don't exactly look all that happy, do yeah, they? I think it's safe to say that both... Uh, attendants are miffed. Is that a fair description? Yeah. <laughs> They're not, it's not the fake, mind you, it is Ryanair, cabin crew staff, very few of them laugh, smile or laugh, to be fair. <laughs> Some of and them I do. don't blame them, frankly. <laughs> no, I, well, uh, I, I've only come across one, if I'm brutally honest, and his name was Ben, and I mentioned him when I, when I came back from Ireland, and he was probably the only cabin crew that I've ever come across from Ryanair who genuinely seemed to be happy. Um, but anyway, that's just me being really grumpy and old. And I'm very sorry to everyone. So moving on then to the next story on Flight Global and uh, something that's been uh, around. I've uh, done the done the tour of Facebook. Uh, this picture has over the last few days. Whoa! And uh, it's uh, it well, it's a, a picture and a story uh, about a, a Transero seven four seven four hundred. And it's been painted with rather an interesting mm. uh, uh, pic or painting on the front nose mm. of the aircraft. So uh, the Siberian Tiger liveried jet unveiled by Transero and the Russian carrier, uh, which uh, has unveiled a Boeing 747-400 featuring a special livery in which the entire nose section carries the image of a tiger's head. The aircraft Echo India X-Ray Lima November has been painted to highlight the conservation work of the Amur Tiger Center located in Moscow and Vladivostok, which specializes in dealing with uh, protection of Siberian tigers. Transero says that a 447-seat aircraft will also have parts of its interior passenger cabin modified with similar coloring. Hmm. Careful conversa- uh, conversation of wildlife or conservation of wildlife is a task to which no one should remain indifferent," said the so you, carrier's so chief executive. You can say executive. Vladimir Skov, but you can't. Say I know. All right, cool, <laughs> Um <laughs> Put me away off now. Um, I waited till you'd finished. Yeah, thank fine. you. <laughs> um, uh, yes, the chief executive Olga Pleshlakov, Kova, uh, as the aircraft uh, which was unveiled at Moscow, the Nukovo. 
It's incredible. Well, I, I was then going to ask: Is it a painting, or is it, or is it a, like a wrap? But it is actually painted it's, on. Yeah, isn't it? it's yeah. amazing. It, uh, for mm. those of you guys who um, browse the internet, you'll see, you'll probably see that it's quite a good picture that's been taken here of the aircraft. How, I wonder how long it took him to do it, him or her to do it. They yeah, don't actually mention amazing, the artist yeah. that did it, which is a real shame. It is. It is. I mean, the paint shop guys. That obviously, I think. Mm. It's, I don't know whether this was painted on or whether it was uh, like a tra- like a. Um, well, yeah, that, well, a stick on kind does of. Say um, it was painted mm. earlier on, as I say. Where was it? Um, yeah, it's, the, the the aircraft. The aircraft has been painted to highlight. So it suggested. Just <laughs> on a comical note, mm. if you were the uh, a pilot, say, let's just say for instance, the aircraft had wing mirrors, yes. and you were flying along merrily, and you looked mm. in your wing mirror and saw that flying up behind you. You just think, Ooh. this ti- oh, a Siberian tiger <laughs> flying behind me. Yes, yes. But it is really stunning. The picture's so yeah, good. Is. Really yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. It's, I, I, I'm, I'm not sure that Russia necessarily has the best... Um, rep when it comes to animal welfare and things like that so i guess it's a tiny small step in well some of them love their animals well there is there is that there there is that (laughs) i don't really know what to say to that oh look oh splendid anyway flight global is next site (laughs) and (laughs) i don't know what carlos is trying to do to me this week but there we are the uh it's it's the last time i leave you in charge of all the stories i know Uh, (laughs) anyway flight global is the site and the headline easyjet and ryanair Push for cheaper onboard connectivity, which uh, I must admit I'm a fan of. I've not actually. You, have you played with in-flight entertainment? Like, have you had Wi-Fi and stuff on a plane? Oh before? yeah, yeah. Have you? Yeah, because yeah, you yeah. fly with Emirates and stuff. Yes, yeah, yeah. and they have Wi-Fi. Yeah. yeah. What's it like? It's really good. Is it quick? It's reasonably quick. Yeah. Mm. I mean, for sending pictures on WhatsApp, it's quick. Mm. Uh, and for browsing the internet, Facebook and stuff is is fine. Absolutely cool. fine. Well, have you tried like YouTube videos or anything like that? No, I didn't actually. Yeah. No. Oh, well, next time you're on one, I will. Yeah, <laughs> excellent. And please report back. Uh, get your speed test net uh, your dot net app out, and then I want yes. to know exact breakdown of how many megabits per nanosecond you can pull out of the air. Anyway, uh, EasyJet and Ryanair push for cheaper onboard connectivity. Europe's two leading low-cost airlines, EasyJet and Ryanair, are both evaluating onboard Wi-Fi, but are not prepared to move until pricing is reduced. EasyJet's head of operational systems, Simon Lamkin, says that the airline expects to introduce onboard connectivity, but it is in no rush to begin installing it on the fleet as it waits for the appropriate technology and pricing structure. Uh, Clearly, Wi-Fi technology is something that's going to be uh, ubiquitous. Uh, The key uh, for us is going to be the timing, said uh, Lamkin at the 2015 SITA Air Transport IT Summit in Brussels. I'm not convinced the right product is out there for what we want at the moment and certainly not at the right cost, but it will certainly turn up. Lamkin explains that EasyJet is not convinced that satellite technology is the right product that gives the right speed, right performance, the right services that we're looking for. How on earth are you else are you going to do it when you're in the middle, when you're over the over the Atlantic or over the well, maybe not the English Channel because the you got, I suppose you could beam it by other ways. But if you're so you know flying over the Atlantic or the Pacific or something like that, then uh, you've got no choice surely to use anything other than satellite. Perhaps I've misunderstood. There is no pressure for EasyJet to finalise its plan for Wi-Fi rollout ahead of delivery starting uh, of its new A Airbus A320 Neo fleet. He says EasyJet will begin receiving the first of 100 A320 Neos in 2017. Deciding on a Wi-Fi strategy is not top of our priorities. It's further down the wish list, and we're going to wait for the next year or two to see what evolves with technology before we move into that space. Lam- 
Jenkins says, speaking at the same event, Ryanair Chief Technology Officer John Hurley concurred with his rival saying that regarding Wi-Fi, we have exactly the same thought as EasyJet. Well, that's unusual. They're both agreeing on something. Uh, we've uh, definitely got to go with it, but it's just too expensive at the moment. Ryanair uh, dallied with the SITA's on-air board uh, on-air onboard connectivity division six years ago when it ran a mobile phone trial. This began in February 2009 with much fanfare on 50 aircraft and the intention was to equip the airline's entire 200 plus feet of fleet of Boeing 737-800s. However, the venture ended in April 2010 after the two companies were unable to reach a mutual agreement on the process and timing for the full deployment. In Europe's low-cost sector, carrier sector Norwegian already offers onboard Wi-Fi using row 44's service while Spain's mm. Vueling is undertaking a connectivity trial this summer with Spanish telecoms giant Telefonica they're the people that own three by the way uh-huh. and uh, Air Berlin uh, no it's not they're the people that own O2 I take that bat sorry Oh, was it? No, I can't remember. Anyway, scrap that. Is it? It was what? It was one of them. I, oh no, it might have been EE that they've just sold to to BT. I don't know. Anyway, sorry. Uh, if anybody else knows, please correct me and try not to make me look <laughs> quite so stupid. Uh, Air Berlin and Nikki, uh, Nike. Is it Nikki or Nike? N I K I. Oh, Nikki Lauder's airline. Right. One. I yeah. see. Yes, have been using Panasonic's connectivity offering on a small number of aircraft. I well it's obviously the way that um you know in flight entertainment is going to go isn't it? I mean I think people you know people are going to bring their own devices aren't they rather than you have in flight entertainment I reckon. Mm. But then not everyone's got a tablet to uh, well, I mean, most Pretty people have tablet but most I mean people have to be honest. I think I think there's still room you know it's nice But to they have... probably they probably hire you on you know well, I think, some airlines I think, have done that. Well, I, th- I think tablets, they're reaching yeah. that are reaching that point where if you haven't bought your own tablet with you, I mean, I sat the the Ryanair flight that I went to uh, to Scotland on, and uh, I sat next to a lovely lady. She was uh, seventy two years old because with she a tablet, would, uh, because she was <laughs> at that age where where old people tell you what their age is because I think they're amazed that they've made it that large. They feel like they should share it with everyone, uh, and she sat there next to me. Not only with a little tablet, but she also pulled out of her handbag a Kindle when she had another <gasps> tablet. I know. I I've know. got one of those. I've yeah, got one of those. No, it's absolutely. Okay. But I, I mean, and this lady was 72 years. But then you see my, my wonderful Auntie Wendy. She is exactly the same. She's uh, she's sort of reaching the twilight years of her life and she has uh, mm. uh, laptops and tablets and, and all sorts. And I mean, You do see when you fly Ryanair, a lot of people do take the tablets and yeah, stuff with them just to watch yeah. films well, and, and stuff on. Yeah, I is, do. Yeah, there is no mm. in-flight entertainment or no. something like that. But you say you shove your own headphones in and... You can sort of away with the fairies. Well, you can, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're just blocking out the chaos that's going on around you. <laughs> <Yeah>. You know, <laughs> the queue for the toilets. The toilets that, yes, the one that toilet that shut yes, down. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <sighs> so, flight global next story, mm-hmm. and um, sad news, really. I think it is anyway. Uh, it's, it's an aircraft that we've covered as stories on in the past. The uh, Boeing seven four seven dash eight, which is uh, Boeing's latest seven four seven jumbo aircraft. Um, which hasn't been as uh, much of a hit as mm. what uh, what well it should have been really I think mm. um, I think down to the fact you know it's got four engines apart from two and most people, airlines yeah, are trying to um, down, not yeah, downsize but trying to save money and fuel mm. and, and costs but Boeing has announced uh, a fourth rate cut for the seven four seven eight program over a two year period 
lowering the monthly output to only one aircraft per month beginning in March 2016. The latest planned reduction will cut the monthly production rate for the 7, 747-8 by half compared to where it stood in early 2015. Boeing is currently building uh, 747-8s at a rate of 1.5 per month, which declines to 1.3 aircraft in August under a previously announced decision. We are making the right decisions to allow us to continue to run a healthy business with a change to our production rate, Boeing says. In early 2014, one Boeing supplier, LMI Aerospace, said a, uh, any rate below 1.5 per month for the 747-8 would be financially costly for the supply chain. But Boeing's officials have said that a year-long cost reduction effort has, been, uh, has made rates as low as one aircraft mu- a month feasible. Uh, one a month would keep it profitable, Boeing's vice president and general manager of the 747-8 program, Bruce Dickinson, told reporters in May. The program appeared to get a morale boost at the Paris Air Show only a week ago, where Russian carrier operator Volga Debna, uh, who are one of the big cargo uh, mm. carriers, uh, signed a memorandum of understanding to buy up to 20 747-8 freighters. Right. Uh, We continue to believe in the long-term strength of the freighter market and the 747-8 is uniquely positioned to capture this demand. Of note is the 747-400 freighter replacement market, which begins next decade, Boeing says. Boeing also offers the 777 freighter in the same market category, but the 747-8 freighter is the only aircraft able to carry certain types of outsized cargo. The U.S. Air Force is also committed to buy up to three 747-8 VIP aircraft to replace two 747-200s operating as Air Force One and designated as VC-25 Alphas. But uh, current budget plans do not fully fund the acquisition of the first two aircraft until the fiscal 2020 year. But then, if they can keep, you know, if they're only doing what, you know, creating, because they they've got orders, haven't they? So as long as they can, they're saying essentially that if they're still building one a month, they can mm. still keep that particular production line profitable, um, which will buy them sufficient time for when they. There must be something about the aircraft, otherwise, not being funny, Air Force One wouldn't be becoming one. No, no, it? it's it's good. That's definitely a good uh, plug for. But Boeing, well, that's what I mean. That, yeah. it, it, it's it's a shame. It's a real shame because I've seen the Lufthansa have got uh, with the passenger variant of the mm. dash eight because mm. it's got a slightly stretched up upper deck mm. you know the, the bulge yeah, at the top yeah. it's slightly stretched and uh, they, they hold slightly more people for something like, like air force um, one and, yeah, yeah. It, it's just a shame i think uh, it's not been picked up by more carriers but like we said before a lot of carriers are switching to mm. twin engine aircraft and, such and as you, a triple seven and do you think that's what or it the is A350. It's, it's the it's, four engines over yeah. the two yeah yeah, because yeah. the difference in size, you know, in passenger carrying capabilities between, say, the triple seven three hundred, which is the large one of the larger twin engine mm. uh, aircraft that Boeing do, and the seven four seven dash eight, is not a huge amount of. It's passengers. not big enough to, join, to to warrant the extra. No, and then you've got and, yeah. you know two extra engines on the seven four seven, you know, to yeah. power. You know, that's uh, two lot two more or two more uh, engines to fuel, yeah. two more engines to carry. I, I mean, um, I, it's a shame, but I I quite like the idea. I mean, I, you've said to me before, a plane will function perfectly well with only one engine. Oh, a, tr- a twin engine jet, yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll fly yeah, with one engine. But I still oh, yeah. like the idea of having three backups. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you've got got plenty of contingency in there. You know, you could you could still lose two engines and it would be fine. <laughs> 
I think <laughs> from, I think the stories that you read and stuff over yeah. the over the past, I think that there's been seven four sevens that have flown with two engines and mm. and, and yeah. you know. Yeah, but they could fly with one. Oh, it, it'd be a struggle with one. Be a struggle with one. So last story. The last story. This is flight global again, and it's R. Is it R dash R? Rolls Royce. Oh, Rolls Royce. Oh, Rolls why Royce, doesn't it say yes. Rolls Royce there? Anyway, Rolls Royce makes progress on testing seven eight seven engine upgrade. Rolls Royce is. Close to completing a round of testing on the latest version of the Trent 1000 engine for the Boeing 787, according to the Arnold Engineering Development Center, AEDC, in the USA. Since earlier this year, the AEDC has hosted a Rolls-Royce team performing altitude operability, operability performance and icing tests on engine serial 11003, one of the several prototypes uh, developed to cert- uh, to certificate the Trent 1000 TEN upgrade. The tests on engine 11003 have been fantastically successful, according to Tom Schmidt, a project manager for the Aerospace Testing Alliance, which was overseeing the testing by the AEDC. That echoes comments by Rolls-Royce executives last month who said that the then ongoing testing at AEDC had shown better fuel efficiency for the Trent 1000 TEN at higher altitudes. The 10 upgrade migrates several features developed for the Trent XWB engine back in the lower thrust engine uh, for the 787. The new features include a rising line compressor and a three-stage blisk at... What's a blisk? I've no idea. Okay, Google it now <laughs> while I finish this story. So okay. a, a three-stage blisk at the front of the high-pressure compa- compressor section. Rolls-Royce has predicted that the Trent 1010 upgrade will provide a 3% advantage on fuel consumption on short flights and up to 3,000 uh, Nm compared to the competing GE Aviation GENX1B engine. So they're hoping that it's going to be uh, a much more efficient. This upgrade's going to basically re- reduce fuel costs, essentially. So an engine blisk. Yes. So here we go. Yes. Right. <laughs> a blisk yes. um, is a single engine component consisting of a rotor disc and blades. Mm. The two components it replaces in turbo machinery, which may either... Mm integrally cast machine from a solid piece of material or made by welding individual blades to the rotor disc. This, the term is used uh, mainly in aerospace engine design. Blisks may also be known as integrally bladed rotors. Integrally bladed. Integrally bladed rotors. Ooh, there we go. <laughs> Thank you for that. I, I know. I can, I, can now, I can now officially sleep. Oh, that's that's the good news. Yes, and on that note, <laughs> that and is the that end note. of the, this week's uh, uh, commercial aviation section. Time to get the kettle on, I think. Oh, yes. yes. yes, absolutely. oh yes so we're going to have a very quick break, have a cup of tea. We've still got Pilot Pip uh, to come after the military section. Lots of feedback and news about uh, uh, avi- about the air Riyadh. shows, including yeah. Riyadh. So yeah. we, uh, we, shall, we shall see you after this. And we're back. 
you've done that just as I put a biscuit in my mouth. Oh, he's eating biscuits, bless him. <laughs> That's okay, because I'm doing the first story. <laughs> so we have, uh, we've got some military news for you. Oh, don't eat. He's eating in front of the microphone now. <laughs> Terrible. So we have some uh, military news, and we've got a uh, PIP segment to come. Yes. And we've got some air, air show news as well. Good, good, good. So if you're ready, we're going to kick off then with some military aviation news. As soon as I finish my biscuit, I'll be right with you. Okay. Like cement, yummy. Mm, the biscuits that I'm eating are so horrible. <laughs> We're a little disappointed. Mm, not good. <laughs> Low calorie biscuits are no, just hideous. <laughs> I'm Why did you start? I know. You're in charge of the control button. You've got a mouthful of biscuits and you hit record. What's wrong with you? I don't know. I've got a slight faux Would you like me there. to do the first story? Mm, you, you do the first yeah, story. Okay, all right then. So the, on the military section then, ladies and gentlemen, it's Flight Global. And the headline is F-35B demonstrates short takeoff capability. The UK and the US have carried out the first short takeoff test of the Lockheed Martin F-35B Lightning II during a ground-based test at uh, Patok River Naval Air Station in Maryland. I should have just said in Maryland, shouldn't I? USA on the 19th of June. This marks the start of the first phase of testing to certify the UK's short takeoff and vertical landing F-35B as capable of takeoff and landing from an aircraft carrier. The work is being controlled by the F-35 PAX River Integrated Test Force, the ITF, assigned to the the Air Test and Evaluation Squadron 23. Uh, Test aircraft BF-04 took off on a ski jump, demonstrating the F-35B's ability to integrate into the UK's future operations. The UK has selected the ski jump approach as opposed to the catapult and uh, arresting... uh, excuse me, a resting gear uh, approach favoured by the US in its carrier operations. The the UK's new carriers, HMS Queen Elizabeth and HMS Prince of Wales, are shorter and contain an upward slope ramp at the bow, curved to allow for the F-35B to launch upwards and forward at the same time. This allows the aircraft to take off with more weight and uh, a lower speed than horizontal launch permits, the UK Ministry of Defence has said. It's a cracking picture, actually. It's worth having a look at this. These, this machine actually off the ramp. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And if you look, if you look at the rear of the aircraft, mm. it's got those. Um, it's got the the the. Oh blimey! I'm trying to think mm. of the name now. Think of come on, get them ahead. The uh, the actual engine mm. thrust position can be changed if you look at the thrust. Um, yeah, oh, right. Yeah, the, so it's the, got like a. Yeah. It looks like almost like a like a, like a diffuser, doesn't it? Where you can sort of. Presumably that moves, does it, depending on what mm. you're trying to... Yeah. My mind's gone a blank. There is a uh. specific word for that. I'm going to kick myself okay. later. Yeah, well, you look it up. While Var- variable thru- thrust. Variable thrust. Variable thrust. Splendid. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah, it is stunning to see that. Mm. And I'm, I'm just... Just while you're doing a story, mm. I was just uh, flicking through the confirmed aircraft list mm. um, for React this year, mm. and I, I can't see it on there. Right. Which okay. is unfortunate. Mm. Um but we have got some good news coming up on that later. Have we good? Anyway, Friday's so, F-35B ski jump was a great success 
for the joint ski but ski jump team says peter wilson bae systems test pilot and the ski jump project lead as expected aircraft bf04 performed well and i can't wait until we're conducting f35 ski jumps from the deck of the queen elizabeth carrier until then the de-risking uh, that we're uh, able to achieve now during phase one of our ski jump testing will equip us with valuable data when we use which we'll use to fuel our phase two efforts it's great news really isn't it it's going to look good on the um, it's a great idea, isn't it? Sort of testing. It's going to look good on our new carrier. It certainly is. Absolutely. No, I can't yeah. wait to see that. Yeah. Perhaps the Royal Navy will invite me and you down to to see them. Yes, I, I, I yeah. Yeah, who knows? Any heads of the Royal Navy just listening to the show? Um, yeah, yeah, we're at our our email address, and <laughs> <laughs> we'd love to come and see it. Absolutely. Nice. So, next story. Indeed. Yes. Moving yeah. on then is uh, on flight global again, mm. and the F sixteen. Uh, well, one of the F 16s belonging to the Iraqi Air Force. Uh, crashes in an, uh, an in Arizona. Oh dear! Uh, the story is the U.S. Air Force has confirmed that one of the Iraqi Air Force's brand new Lockheed Martin F-16s uh, has crashed in the Arizona desert in an apparent training mission. The aircraft, which was being flown by an Iraqi student pilot on a night training mission, went down eight miles east of the Douglas Municipal Airport on the USA's Mexico border. Iraqi pilots have been training with the Arizona Air National Guard's 162nd Fighter Wing since 2012 at an international F-16 schoolhouse based at the Tucson International Airport. This has also uh, supported pilot training for F-16 operations from Denmark, Japan, the Netherlands, Norway, Poland and Singapore and was chosen to house the Iraqi F-16s after the Islamic State terrorist group overran large parts of western Iraq earlier last year. Baghdad had hoped to uh, receive its first F-16s last September, but they were instead diverted to Tucson to support pilot training until the security situation in Iraq improves. The status of the pilot is still unknown at this time, and the 162nd wing said in a 22nd of June statement that nothing um, nothing that the aircraft belonged to Iraq and that was um, none of, or not one of the many USAF jets assigned to training. The Air Force has assembled an interim safety board to investigate the incident, it adds. The first 14 Iraqi aircraft have been due to arrive in Tucson depending or pending a further uh, basing decision. Iraq has ordered 36 of the type uh, via a foreign military sales deal, and those aircraft are currently being assembled by Lockheed in Fort Worth, Texas. Now, you see, in my world, this is the coaching world, obviously, is a very unfair comparison, perhaps. But you don't put the newbie in the brand spanking new shiny coach (laughs) that's in the yard. Do you know what I mean? I think these these are these are two seat ones as well. So mm. I don't know whether there was whether he whether had, he had uh, an instructor or, mm. or someone with him at the time. It doesn't say, but mm. um, it's yes. still it's still sad when you see. But but you put the the oldest one. You know, you put the oldest and you know if you're going to take the wing mirrors off, you know you 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 put out the rubbish one. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> While he's still learning. No, no just he, me. He, he's okay. all right. He's all right though. He's he's all right though. I think the pilot. Oh, okay. we'll but the aircraft, off. I think, will be a write off. Oh, yeah. do you think? Right. Mm. Okay. So next, next is a happy story. It is indeed. This is on the Royal Air Force website, and the headline is M6 road trip for Cosford's new VC10. The Royal Air Force Museum uh, at, at Cosford is pleased to announce that its latest latest acquisition, the VC10 serial number XR808, has now arrived at Cosford following a final road trip 
trip along the M6 motorway. After a successful eight-month dismantling process carried out by GJD Services, a specialist maintenance and aircraft salvage company based at uh, Bruntingthorpe uh, in Leicestershire, the VC-10 finally arrived at Cosford on Sunday the 21st of June. The 93-foot-long fuselage departed from uh, Bruntingthorpe early on Sunday morning and arrived at Cosford shortly after 1pm. Transported on a low-loader lorry, the route saw the aircraft pass along the M69, M6 and M54 to Cosford via the nearby village of Shifnal. Too large to pass under the railway bridge at Cosford, the fuselage made its way along to junction 4 of the M54 and through Schiffnell with some tricky manoeuvring en route before heading onto the airfield at RAF Cosford. Having flown on VC-10s throughout my career, I've been looking forward to seeing this one arrive at RAS Cosford. The VC-10 has been an iconic RAF uh, aircraft for so many decades and it seems fitting that the XR808 finally comes to rest at the RAF Museum at the end of its exemplary service. RAS Cosford is the home of the RAF engineer, engineering so it is apt that the VC-10 comes to our airfield to be rebuilt prior to going on permanent display at the museum and that was by squadron leader Chris Wilson who's the media communication and coordination officer at RAF. Cosford. Now the VC-10, mm-hmm. um, for those of you who don't know, or you should know, yes, um, Matt, mm-hmm. if, you don't, if you don't know, okay. uh, the VC-10 used to be a passenger aircraft many oh, cool. years ago. Yeah. It does it does have that look actually of, uh, of a sort of yep. Boeing-esque. It was originally, originally a passenger, a long-range British airliner designed and built by the Vickers Armstrong um, Aircraft Limited. Right. First flew at Brooklands in Surrey in 1962. Mm. Um, was used by uh, BOAC, British Overseas Aircraft Corporation, which later obviously became British Airways yeah. after Um was also used by East African Airways, Ghana Airways, and lastly, the Royal Air Force used cool. them. Mm-hmm. Um, it f- uh, first flew 29th of June, 1962, mm. uh, was introduced into service on the 29th of April, 1964, and um, the Royal Air Force retired the last one uh, which was uh, Zulu Alpha 147, was the registration, which performed its final flight um, of the type on the 25th of September 2013. Gosh, oh, so they really have literally only just come out of service. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. There was 54 of these built mm. in total um, by the Vickers um, uh, Armstrong Corporation. And uh, as, we, as I said, the Royal Air Force were the last to use them for mm. uh, rare-to-air refueling and tankers cool. and yeah. stuff. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, another proven, another British built aircraft has lasted ages. Look, well, this is interesting. Uh, but they it don't re- make them like they used to. Oh no, <laughs> yes. <laughs> this was replaced by the A330 MRT, right. the, the multi-role tank, which we've okay. covered on the show before. This is the one that they're testing. The yeah. the, the, the VC10 yeah. used to fly actually sort of alongside ish the TriStar tank. Okay, yeah. and, and they were both phased out at around about the same ish time oh. um, by the RAF um, to make way for the new. The new Voyager. So there we go. So good story there. Moving on to another um, sad story. Sad story. Yeah. Uh, the uh, headline on the Royal Air Force site: Vulcan XH five five eight flies over the Imperial War Museum at Duxford as part of its V Force tour. So the last flying Vulcan XH five five eight 
um, is undertaking or has undertook a spectacular two-day V-Force tour of the UK. And that happened this weekend. And today it's happening as well. Uh, The V-Force tour pays tribute to the three aircraft that carried Britain's first nuclear deterrent, the Vulcan, Victor and Valiant. Mm. Vulcan XH558 bids farewell to the 17 locations where the remaining V-Force aircraft now reside. As part of it, uh, this tour, the Vulcan will fly over the Imperial War Museum at Duxford uh, on Sunday, which is today, Indeed. at uh, 8 minutes past 2 in the afternoon, which is not long from now. Uh, uh, a Vulcan will then visit the airspace exhibition, where you can explore around and underneath the museum's Vulcan aircraft, stand underneath the immense bomb bay doors and experience the sheer size and might of the aircraft. Um, one you've will uh, have just seen if you're at Duxford mm. flying in the skies over there. Dr. Robert Fleming, Chief Executive uh, Vulcan of Sheldon to the Sky Trust, said, "We are enormously thankful to the loyal supporters of XH558 and inspired by the growing number of people of all generations who are enthused by this legendary piece of British engineering." Um, I- so it is a sad because this is the last year yeah. of the Vulcan. It's, uh, it's a sad, very sad year indeed. Um, I know that uh, our Facebook page uh, photo is uh, showing the Vulcan uh, in all its glory at the moment on our um, on our main, main picture page. Mm. Um, but uh, we should hopefully we'll see this um, if, yeah. you know, when we go It'll to be one of the last. It'll be one of, the, one of its last flights, actually, yeah. won't it? Yeah, at, at Riyadh. But it's a shame. It's a shame because it, it is an iconic aircraft and part of English history, really. Do we know the actual reason why it's being retired? Is it just funding or...? Uh, well, a lot of people have said it's down to, to cost, which it is oh, down uh, yeah, to cost. Yeah, yeah. But there also is an issue with, obviously, you know, the flight time of the engines and the airframe because right. it okay. is coming to the end of its sort of, say, you know... It, um, if it was a car, it would have two hundred thousand miles on the clock. Right, okay. um, so it's it's kind of getting to the end of its um, usable, Service, serviceable, serviceable life. Uh, life yeah. yeah, I mean they they could spend a fortune on it and uh, you know and bring up ball up to spec, yeah. but that costs millions of pounds. Yeah. And unfortunately, they, um, the tr- trust doesn't have that sort of money to uh, you. But uh, they shame. are going to you know keep this aircraft still in good condition and store. Um, uh, we covered it in one of the previous mm. episodes where it's going to be stored at uh, a museum. So. Yeah. It's it's not and it's not going to disappear. The engines, they're going to keep the engines running so that they can. I would hope bomb so. Out. I, 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 I would hope I'm so. sure that story mm. you're referring to was where they could bomb it up and down the uh, the, the runway. It would be good. Still here, yeah. running essentially. But it's always a shame when it's not up in the air. I wonder how the pilot must be feeling. I mean, I guess it must be multiple pilots. Giving I mean, the yeah, hours they're putting to in, be but... to be the pilot who flew who mm. flies the actual last yeah, flight yeah. of this aircraft is quite uh, be, uh, quite an uh, quite achievement. Emotional experience yeah. for especially when it comes to the end of the season. But uh, all very sad. Anyway, it's the penultimate story. This is on the Royal Air Force website uh, again. And it's warm, <laughs> warm pasty welcome for RAF Top Gun Squadron. Mm. Pilots from two Army Corporation Squadron based at RAF Lossiemouth were given a warm Cornish welcome as they roared into the Royal Navy Air Station at uh, Cold Rose. Is it Cold Rose? Cold Rose, yeah. Cold Rose. Oh, yeah. Uh, six Typhoon fighter jets, along with nearly 100 personnel, arrived for a week of exercising with the Royal Navy Type 45 destroyer in the southwest approaches of the English Channel. The RAF's fifth frontline and newest typhoon outfit also used the deployment 
uh, away from their Scottish base as preparation for future global operations that could well come their way. Our mission at Lossimath is part of the Quick Reaction Alert Force in readiness for operations across the northern part of the UK and future global deployments. We are at RNA's Cooldrose in training for deployments that could take us anywhere in the world, much like the RAF Navy. My job as commanding officer is to get them ready to deploy. This is Wing Commander Roger Elliott, and he continues, Cooldrose offers us an ideal base for conducting maritime integration exercises with HMS Defender, a Type 45 destroyer that will test her air defence radar and air defence capability. The squadron maintains a high state of readiness 24 hours a day, 365 days a year in defence of the UK's airspace. The Typhoon is a single-seat fighter that can operate up to a maximum or height of 55,000 feet with a top speed of up to 1.8 Mach. It is a highly capable and extremely agile multi-role combat aircraft capable of being deployed in the full spectrum of air operations, including air policing, peace support and high intensity conflict. And of course, quite often we're hearing the typhoon is the is the plane that's being scrambled to go and deal see off pesky, <laughs> see off pesky Ruskin, Russian bears. jets. Yes, bears, absolutely, yes. absolutely. But uh, yes, so welcoming them to RNAS Cauldrose was Commanding Officer Captain Adrian Orchard, uh, OBE, himself a Harrier pilot and no stranger to fast jet activity, he said. Cauldrose is really excited about hosting the typhoons. This is a big part of our future. We are looking ahead to cooperation between us, the Royal Air Force, and the other services from other nations as we prepare for operations with the new forthcoming Queen Elizabeth carriers. Many of the air squadrons, uh, the air station squadrons and units are working alongside the typhoons, bringing realism into the exercises in the air at sea. Their involvement will pay dividends in the future as the Royal Navy's own F-35B jets are on trials in the USA with pilots uh, and crews from RNAS Cauldrose. Captain Orchard added many of our aircraft will be part of the HMS Queen Elizabeth's carrier air group when she sets off to sea. Our future is bright and looking very rosy as we continue to develop the carrier's capabilities at RNAS Cooled Road. That is one really nice-looking pasty. That is a fabulous Cornish pasty. pasty. I don't think it's enough there for an entire squadron, I no, won't lie, because... No. Most, I mean, I've got lots of friends who are in the army, and they'd eat that on their own in one sitting. <laughs> never mind any, never mind sharing that amongst oh, everyone dear. else. But <laughs> no, that's that's very nice that they were it looked after. Good, I should hope so. Don't yeah, good, a good old fashioned Cornish hospitality. So the last story we've got, mm-hmm. I'm actually going to save this for the um, for the air show segment because this mm-hmm. story is kind of really more okay. some good news for uh, for, for one of the air shows this year. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So that's we're going to bring the military segment to a close. It is indeed, yes. Uh, on that note, it is time to welcome back Pip, as always, or Pilot Pip. I should give him his his official title. What's what's it on today, Carlos? This week, uh, Pip is looking at air traffic control services. He's kind of following on from mm. um, last, from week's, last segment week's segment that he yeah. done. Great. So that's what he's going to look at. Should we, so, should we give it a quick listen? Let's let's do. And now it's time to visit the cockpit. And join the man who puts the S in safe. It's the plane safety from the flight deck segment with Captain Pip. Hello everyone, Pilot Pip here. 
In this segment we're going to continue to look at the provision of air traffic control services. Now, last week you remember we looked at air traffic services inside controlled airspace and we looked at radar control. But more precisely what we were talking about was traffic services in controlled airspace to IFR aircraft, instrument flight rules, so those aircraft operating under IFR rules. So that would be any commercial airline flight that you get on. But actually it's a little bit more complicated than that. There are many different airspaces, not just controlled or uncontrolled airspace. You have many different classifications. In fact, it goes from class A airspace all the way down to class G airspace, classes A, B, C, D and E being controlled airspace, and F and G are uncontrolled airspace. And it really depends on what sort of uh, flight plan you're operating on under IFR or VFR as to what sort of traffic service you might get. So what we were really talking about last week was IFR traffic in controlled airspace. But you can also be flying VFR in controlled airspace, or you can be flying IFR in uncontrolled airspace. It really depends on your needs. So let's look at some of the other sorts of services you can get from ATC. And as I mentioned last week, this varies a lot from country to country. So I'm mainly looking at the UK here, but they're broadly similar. And we can kind of put them into two different categories. We can say we've got radar services or non-radar services, and that's fairly simple. Somehow in the UK, as we're very fond of doing, we've made it much more complicated than that. We've given it all fancy names, and we've actually managed to come up with four different uh, air traffic control services that you might receive. But basically, we're talking about either a radar service or a non-radar service. So let's take a look. So the most basic of these that you might receive is what's called in many places a flight information service and this would be something you'd be interested in if you're on a, a VFR flight perhaps out in your Cessna 150 or your uh, PA28 light aircraft and this will be provided to any aircraft that wants to participate and it's there to provide basic flight information to pilots so it's not aiming to provide any traffic separation but it's uh, really there as a non-radar service to provide information to assist with the safe and efficient conduct of your flights and it might provide information such as weather information or serviceability of navigational aids, general conditions at aerodromes, um, other information pertinent to your flight, you know, if you need to know the closing time or the sunset times or something like that. And it also does provide some basic traffic information. So anyone who's participating uh, in this service, they'll be known to the controller. And the controller may well not have a radar screen. He'll just be sitting in some room somewhere with a map. And any traffic known to him, he'll be able to pass you information on that traffic, you know, where they are, their last known position, what their altitude was, this sort of thing. And in the UK, we call this a basic service. As I say, other places will call it something like a flight information service. And who's giving you this service? Well, most air traffic control units, so most small airfields around the country, for instance, you can call them up and they'll give you any information you need on, on the general known traffic in the local area or anything else you may need. Or you can also call London Flight Information Service. This is a, a centralised service. We've got one in London, we've got one in Scotland, and it covers the whole of the UK. And it's a basic service there for, for anyone who wants it. And then the next sort of non-radar service we've got, we talked about this last week a little bit, it's the procedural service. And this is a non-radar service. It's, it's the equivalent to uh, something we're going to talk about in a minute, the deconfliction service. And the controller deconflicts participating traffic by issuing level, track or timing or speed instructions. And really it's routinely used for IFR traffic carrying out approaches when the radar is not available or perhaps when radar contact has been temporarily lost. 
Now, if you're using a procedural service, then you need to uh, let the controller know where you're going, what you're doing, any changes in track, heading, any changes in level, or if your ETA for a particular point changes by more than three minutes. So if you've previously told him that you're going to be at point A at 12.03, and due to maybe the headwinds are slightly stronger than you thought, you're now going to be there at 12.07, then you need to let the controller know that so he can update his, his big picture. But the key thing here, this is a non-radar service, so the controller is only going to be aware of those traffic he's talking to. There could be, particularly in you know Class G uncontrolled airspace, which we have a lot of here in the UK, there could be other traffic he's not talking to or is unaware of. So again, uh, looking out the window, deconfliction is always the pilot's responsibility. So that's a basic service and the procedural service. So now we can move into the um, provision of radar services. And the basic radar service that we have here in the UK is called a traffic service. In other places, I think in the States, it's called flight following, called different things in different places. But now we're starting to get radar information put into the picture. So traffic service is a radar service which aims to provide you, the pilot, with information on other conflicting traffic. But crucially, the point is no avoiding action will be offered with a traffic service. So hence you're responsible still for maintaining your own separation from other aircraft. So this sort of service is tailor-made really for, for letting you get on with your uh, VFR flight in VMC conditions while the controller essentially provides you with an extra set of eyes with his radar. So he'll let you know of any other traffic in your area, where it's heading, and if it's um, looking like it might be a conflict with you, he will just give you information on that traffic and then it's up to you to do something about it. Now, he may give you suggested headings or suggested uh, routes to fly to avoid the traffic, but it's up to you as a pilot whether you accept that or not. And then the next radar service is what we call here a deconfliction service. So this is much like the traffic service. So there's a radar involved. They've got a, an air traffic controller uh, monitoring radar. Uh, but this time, the controller will issue you headings and vectors to fly to deconflict you from other traffic to keep you separated. And this is a service that's uh, available to all flights, irrespective of flight rules, so VFR, IFR flights. And it aims to provide you with the information and advisory uh, avoiding actions to deconflict you from other aircraft. And it's the preferred radar service when you're flying in IMC, so instrument meteorological conditions. However, if you are not qualified to fly in IMC conditions, then it's important that you um, respect the limitations of your license. So if you're receiving a deconfliction service, the controller may well issue you with a heading to keep you separated from another traffic, but that heading may take you into IMC conditions, so into cloud. So it's then the pilot's responsibility to say, I can't accept that vector. And the controller will obviously do his best to, to find a suitable solution. And a deconfliction service is certainly what I use a fair bit when we're flying into airfields outside of controlled airspace, which we have a fair few of in the UK. Uh, the UK is a little bit unusual that we have a lot of Class G airspace, um, which is uncontrolled. Anyone can fly in this airspace. You don't need to uh, be talking to anyone on the, ra on the radio. So you're perfectly entitled to fly around doing your own thing. Uh, but it starts to become a problem when you have commercial air traffic flying in the same airspace. So if you go to um, a lot of other places, the United States, for instance, instead of having a lot of Class G airspace, they have Class E airspace, which is, it's the it's controlled airspace, but it's the, the lowest classification of controlled airspace. So it's still available for all aircraft to fly in, but there is that added element of, 
of uh, participation in the uh, air traffic services by all aircraft. Now, who do you talk to to get a, a radar service, a deconfliction service or a traffic service? Well, in the UK, we have something called the Lower Airspace Radar Service, the LARS. And this is uh, a bunch of uh, participating air traffic control units spread throughout the country. And together, they're able to give pretty well nationwide radar coverage at low level. So from flight level 70 or 7,000 feet, something like that, down to pretty well ground level, they're able to give radar coverage throughout the country. Now, some of the major uh, participating units, or one of the major ones, is Farnborough, for instance, down in the south uh, of the UK. They're able to provide uh, a very wide-range radar coverage. And actually, they have something called uh, conspicuity codes, which is a, a sort of a new thing. It's something that wasn't uh, in operation when I was flying GA aircraft. It's only come in, in the last five or six years, so I've not experienced it myself. But the idea is this is a, a little service to make make the workloads easier for the controller and to encourage participation by uh, GA aircraft. So the idea is, uh, if you don't want to talk to the controller, if you just want to go and enjoy your flight, well, you can do that. But what you can do, you can set what we call a conspicuity code on your transponder. I can't remember exactly what the code is, but you set this four-digit um, code on the transponder, which the air traffic controller, typically at Farnborough, will be able to see. And what that does, that lets him know that you are a there in his airspace, but also that you're listening, that you're monitoring his frequency. So if he needs to talk to you, he can simply call you up. He can say, you know, traffic uh, squawking conspicuity at five miles north of such a point, come up on, on frequency. And you'll hear that because you're part of the agreement is you're monitoring that frequency. You'll hear it and you'll say, ah, I think he's talking about me. So you come up and you can talk to him and he'll pass you whatever information he needs to. And we have a couple of different units doing that across the country. So that's quite a nice feature. Because traditionally there's a, been a, you know, a group of people, I don't quite understand why, but they don't want to talk to air traffic control. They just want to go out in their little aeroplane in the Class G airspace and, and fly around without having to talk to anyone. So and by participating in this conspicuity code, they're then there and able to be reached if need be. So that all sounds very complicated, I suppose. Different uh, airspace structures, different rules, IFR, VFR. But the reality, actually, is that it's, it's really very simple. Once you've done it a few times, you get the hang of it very quickly, and you know what service you need, and uh, you get the hang of the phraseology, what you need to ask for. And by large part, you get uh, left alone if that's what you want. You'll check in with a controller, you'll let him know where you're going, and then you can just get on with it and enjoy your flight. It really isn't as scary as at first it looks. Anyway, so I think that about wraps up just a very basic overview of air traffic control services. I'll be back hopefully next week with another segment. Uh, just as a little reminder, uh, we've got the Riyadh Air Show coming up very soon. I'm sure the guys are going to be talking about that later in the show. But I will be there uh, almost certainly on both days. On the Saturday, I'll be there hopefully meeting up with Carlos, which I'm looking forward to hugely. Uh, so if anyone else is going to be there, Feel free to drop Carlos or I uh, a line, an email, let us know, and uh, we'll be happy to meet up with people and, and share an ice cream or something and, and talk aeroplanes. So that's uh, the Riyadh Air Show at Fairford on the weekend of the 18th and 19th of July. So hope to see some of you there. For now, I'm going to hand you back to Carlos and Matt in the studio, and I'll see you next week. Take care, everyone. As Bye. always, Pip. Fantastic. <laughs> Very much appreciated, Pip, mm, for that segment of the so show. Close. And uh, oh, Ria, yeah, Ria is so close now. I know, and we get to meet Pip. Yeah, in can't person. Wait. I can't. I can't Woo-hoo. wait. Yes.
I um, yes, I shall be meeting Pip on Saturday, yes, and I shall be meeting him on the Sunday. Yes, 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 look forward to that. Can't wait. So we have uh, got some uh, air show news. Mm. Yes, you're in the chair for this one. Uh, also, before I forget, don't forget, Pip is uh, on the Plane Safety Podcast each week. You can download his show via iTunes yes. or through his uh, website, planesafetypodcast.com. Go on there and uh, see all you can, or can find out about Pip. Mm. But uh, yes, if you're at React, you'll be able to meet Pip in person yes. and um, shake his piloting hand. Indeed. Absolutely. Yes, so we've got some air show information. And um, with the coming shows that are coming in July, because uh, we're rapidly moving towards July, it'll be July Wednesday. Yes, indeed. And uh, July, well, starting July, there's the Bang or Bagging Baggington Air Pageant at Coventry Airport. Mm. Um, there's going to be the Gloucester Meteor there. That's on the fourth of July. Um, De Havilland Venom FB50. There's a few other aircraft flying the display there. Uh, Manchester have got their air show on the 5th of July. I think we covered these in last week's mm-hmm. show, didn't we? we? Did, yeah. um, and also a big one as well, not to forget, is the Flying Legends air show mm. display at uh, the Empor- uh, Empor- Imperial War Museum, Duxford, yes. Cambridgeshire, on the 11th and 12th of July. Yeah, that's the Saturday and Sunday, isn't it? Yeah, yeah that's going to be a huge... And the display list for that is massive. Mm. There's loads of aircraft participating yeah. in that. Mm. Um, and obviously moving on to the uh, Royal International Air Tattoo RAF mm. Fairford on the 17th and 19th yep. of uh, July. Um, there has been a bit of uh, news, obviously, in the in the last uh, few days mm. um, that the United States of America, the good old USA, are sending uh, for the first time in quite a few years, they're sending a, quite a large uh, contingency of aircraft over cool. to That's see excellent. us all. What have, we, what have we got coming up? Um, so the US, uh, US or United States of America mm-hmm. um, are sending over, or they're sending here to the show, uh, a Boeing uh, uh, AH-64 Apache, mm. uh, a Sikorsky UH-60 Black Hawk. Mm. That'd be good to see that. Mm. Uh, the US Air Force are going to send uh, a A-10 Thunderbolt. I haven't seen one of them for years. Really? That's going to be awesome. Um, they're also from the uh, 7th Special Operations Squadron. Uh, they're going to have two Ospreys, the one with the tilt rotor. Oh, yes. Oh, oh yes. Cool. yes. Oh, that'll be awesome to see those. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the 493rd Fighter Squadron are going to be sending an F-15C Eagle. And also another one which will be awesome to see uh, will be from the uh, 351st Air Refueling Squadron are going to have one of their KC-135R Strato tankers there. That'll be awesome seeing that because I see one of those fly over here just the other day. And also uh, from the 67th Special Operations Squadron, um, they're going to be uh, having one of their MC-130J Commando 2s as well. And the U.S. Navy are going to have uh, their P-8A Poseidon there as well. That's from the uh, VX-1 Squadron from the Maritime Surveillance uh, part of them. They're going to have the Poseidon there on uh, static display. Um, I will say that all those aircraft uh, that the USA are bringing or, bring, or showing at the show 
the only one that will be actually doing a flying display will be one of the Ospreys. Right. But that is going to be one, worth one watching, heck of yeah. a display to see because the Osprey, mm. is, apart from making an awesome noise, just looks fantastic <laughs> in the air. Yeah. So all the other aircraft will be on static display. Mm. Uh, hopefully, uh, me and Matt will be able to uh, grab one of the pilots mm. uh, from there and we'll interview those guys. Mm. Uh, at the show, and uh, we'll have a special uh, show, probably a couple of show. Um, mm. yeah, um, well, we're going to try and, try and put one out live yes, while we're there. We will, uh, and then, as I say, uh, any edited highlights and things we'll, we'll bring to you in in the following weeks' podcast. So, yeah, hoping to get some quality material from from our visit to Fairford. Yes, so don't forget if you are visiting um, the Royal International Air Tattoo at RAF Fairford. Mm-hmm. Um, look out for, uh, I'll be there on the Saturday with Pip. Yep. Uh, I'll be wearing my Plain Talking UK uh, T-shirt. And if it's too chilly, my fleece. Um, <laughs> and so he will be wearing his fleece, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, yeah. Me, me, and Pip, me and Pip will be there on the Saturday. And then yep. uh, Matt is uh, all joining me. All three of us me. will be there. Yeah, on the Sunday, yeah, all yeah. three of us will be there. Yes. Uh, Pip, me and Matt yes. will be there on the Sunday. Me and Matt will be walking around um, with uh, various pieces yeah. of recording material. Um, um, uh, in in instruments, yes. hanging from various parts of our, our body, our, our body, yes, cables and speakers and microphones and, microphones and stuff. Uh, oh yes, Matt's just kicking a microphone. Yes, there. indeed. Yeah, just making sure it's still here. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, he'll have those. Uh, he'll have those with him, and we'll yep. we'll uh, yeah. If you if you're there, come and see us. Yeah, come and say hello. And we might even uh, might even. Um, have a little chat, for interview the for the show. Yes, yes, you could you could you could speak to us on the show. Yes. So, uh, we have a couple of bits of uh, listener feedback. Uh, one on Facebook, via Facebook, is Matthew Fabricus. Hope I've spelt your, pronounced your name properly there, Matthew. So, Matthew uh, has uh, sent us a message. If you remember on the last episode, Matt, we were talking about pronunciation. Oh, no. And, uh, what have I done in now? My, no, not you. <laughs> it's me. I've made a huge faux pas. Oh, dear. So we were talking about uh, Captain Jeff and his pronunciation of uh, the word portable. Oh no! What have we done? <laughs> I know, I know. This is this is where the the uh, sort of the uh, thing yeah. breaks down. Mid, I, I knew mid, we, mid I knew we were in serious trouble the minute we started on a subject. Of so according to Matthew, he um, uh, Jeff's not saying portable. Uh, he's saying potable, which is safe to drink water. Ah, you didn't see. know that one. Well, there we are. Oh, yeah, I, I didn't do very well at school. <laughs> Every day is a school day. Yeah. yeah, I know, I know. So it's actual potable which is safe to drink water, not portable, which is something you can carry around easily. Cool. So sorry, sorry apologies there, Jeff, if you're listening. Yeah, yeah, yeah oh, blimey, both Matthew God, and blimey. Jeff. I'm, I'm, gonna ha- I'm on bended knee, Jeff. Mm, yes, yeah, um, grovel. Please, 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 uh, please forgive me for my um Don't, see what he does. Stupidities. <laughs> Don't forget, you can, uh, you, can, uh, you can listen to Captain Jeff over at the Airline Pilot Guy mm. show uh, on iTunes. Fantastic show. Mm. Listen to his latest one. You've got to listen to that um because uh, Jeff started, Jeff has started having um, um, fellow co-presenters mm. on the show. Miami Rick and uh, Doctor Steph have been helping him <laughs> cool. on the show, which is kind of cool. Miami Rick, sounds Miami like an awesome. Rick. I know. Yeah, that sounds like great. Right? Yeah. And there is talk yeah. of having a huge meetup, possibly at Farnborough next year, <gasps> Ooh, of all the podcasty type people. Now, I mean, that would be. Fantastic to get I, all I, us guys I bet together. Get holiday forming quick. Oh, I think you better because yeah. <laughs> there, there would be airline pilot guy, you know, Captain Jeff, yeah, and yeah. hopefully, I and mean, it'd be great to get some of the airplane geeks across. Uh, cool, you yeah. know, Rob, Mark, Max, Flight, 
and David Vanderhoff as well, get him across um, over to the UK here. And obviously Grant and Steve over at PCDU. Yeah, no pressure. Yes. No pressure. <laughs> you know, it's only a flight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, only. Yeah. Only a flight. So, other, yeah. Literally the other side of the world. I know. Anyway. <laughs> uh, we've also had a uh, message from Ray Davis as well. Ray uh, contacted us through... Uh, Facebook as well. Ray was, uh, he sent us uh, quite an interesting picture actually of a ceiling fan. Uh, right. <laughs> okay. It, it's an, a, it's an aviation geekdom ceiling fan. It's, okay. it's, it's really good. It's, uh, it's, it's, I think it's a, a Thunderbolt or I think it's a North American, th- I think it is anyway. <laughs> with, and it hangs on the ceiling with a propeller, yes. right. obviously providing the, um, downdraft. Downdraft. Yeah. yeah. Which is really, really cool. Yeah. Splendid. Is that something we, we should be looking into as part of our merchandising strategy or oh, I don't know <laughs> but no thanks for getting in contact with us Ray uh, yeah. we all always love loads of uh, messages mm. so uh, yes to send us and also hello to Mark Harvey and um, yeah also thanks for Daniel Hannington for um, posting loads more fantastic uh, pictures on uh, on Instagram you like those don't you oh they're yeah. so good yeah. so good yeah thanks for that Daniel um, okay. keep up the great work mm. If you want to get in touch with the show, don't forget several ways of doing that. Obviously, I'll just run you through the main ones very quickly. That is Plain Talking uh, UK podcast. That's what you're listening to right now, obviously. So you have found us if you are listening <laughs> to this. But anyway, we'll go through it anyway. It is facebook.com forward slash Plain Talking UK. Uh, on Twitter, it's the same. It's twitter.com with our handle being Plain Talking UK or at Plain Talking UK if you're trying to find us to follow us. And of course, it's the website. It's www.plain spelled p-l-a-n-e plaintalkinguk.com yes do get in touch because me and Matt want to hear from you very much good or bad we don't care we, we like we like constructive criticism also make sure we are covering the stories that you would like us to cover so that's where we're going to bring episode 66 to a close of the Plain Talking UK podcast don't forget to join us next week for episode 67 yes and we'll have loads more news and hopefully some more feedback from the listeners. Yes, excellent. And loads more excellent stories, I have no doubt. Yes, definitely. So thanks for joining us and uh, thanks for listening. Yes, from me, from me, humble little old Matt here in Carlos's kitchen studio in a rather, it's very warm and muggy and uh, dark. I think that's a fair way of it. Rather overcast. And for me, Carlos, hoping that I was going to possibly put the barbecue on this afternoon, no, but probably won't dream. now. Because oh, it's... Because oh, it's gloomy. It's your fault it's all gloomy, I know. Isn't it? yes, yes. But it's a, a big goodbye from me. From both of us it is. Goodbye. goodbye.